Well, my name is Mike, uh, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we are now kicking off a new sermon series through the book of Ezekiel. Wow, everyone looks so wonderfully excited about such a task. That is just, I am over the moon for that. Good job, everyone. And actually, as I, as I prepared this, I thought this morning and, and prayed to God and said, Lord, what did I do? This is a, this is a big uh, uh, task to take under, but it is a task that we are to be reminded that all Scripture, all Scripture is good and profitable for teaching and correction. Everything is good for a message and a sermon for us to take home, to lock away in our hearts. Now, as we went through the book of Acts, if you're here, we went through the entire book of Acts. We had these journals available uh, for you to, uh, to kind of follow along through that. And we want to make that same avail- thing available to you for, for Ezekiel as well. We have 22 of those journals coming next week. And I have a sign-up sheet up there. First come, first serve on that sign-up sheet. They're $8 a piece uh, to sign up if you want to have one of those. Now, once all 22 are exhausted, the rest are on back order because, as you can imagine, not a huge demand for everyone who wants to have a journal of Ezekiel. But if you want to follow along through this, we're going to take basically the next 40 weeks to go through this book. If you look at the book, there are 48 chapters, and you may be saying, wait a second, that math doesn't math. But there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of places where we can kind of truncate down some things. There's only so many ways that you can tell the Israelites that they're doomed. So we will, um, we will make sure that we organize that around uh, for, that, for that time period. But if you want to sign up for that, that sign-up sheet's out at the welcome table. So please sign up for it so I know. I'll keep it out there for the next couple of weeks, and then I'll put an order in because it'll probably take about a month to get those, those books in. That's what they, they told me. So... That's where we're at. That's what we're going to do. Let's press on. So let's dive into Ezekiel. My friends, let uh, me see a, a, a show of hands. How many people remember learning how to ride a bike? Raise your hand if you remember that. Okay, good. How many people had their mothers teach them how to ride that bike? Your hands up. All right. Look at him. He's like, yeah, I guess you kind of helped. No. <laughs> how many people it was their dad? Their dad helped them. All right, good. Uh, Grandparent? Neighbor? Oh, grandparent? Very good. Excellent. Yes. Well, it's one of those skills that we teach our children. It's a fundamental skill. It helps them learn their balance, all the things. And it takes a lot of patience and a lot of perseverance to get through this lesson. I remember my dad teaching me how to ride a bike, and it was a lot of loads of fun, I'm sure, for him. And I don't understand why he did this, but maybe he just didn't like the neighbor across the street. But how we learned was I rode back and forth from our driveway to the neighbor's driveway. But the problem with learning how to ride a two-wheel bike is that not only you have to learn how to balance, you have to learn how to stop. And so my stopping point was the neighbor's garage door. So I'm, I don't know. I do remember running into the garage door often and thinking and not having them come out and yell at us, but I don't know what, it, I mean, that's on dad, so you can ask him. But I remember him running along beside me, running behind me, hand on the seat. Sometimes the hand comes off the seat and when that happens, you either sink or swim and there's a lot of falling and a lot of bruising. But even in the following, I knew, following, I knew that my dad was still in full control of the situation. There was an end goal to this lesson, and that lesson was I was going to be a bike rider. And he had a hand in ensuring the success, just as he had a hand in ensuring that, that he was there when I fell and when I failed. Bruises, yes. Utter defeat, no. And as a father as myself, learning 
To teach my children a skill, I realize how difficult it is to be patient and loving and kind and persevere through them learning these things. We don't want to see our children fail, and yet we need them to learn through the failures. We need them to fall and learn. We need them to realize that failure is when you do something that isn't quite right and don't do that again. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're a failure. It just means that that action didn't quite work out the way you needed it to, and we lock that away and realize, okay, don't do that one again. And success is learning to repeat the things that you did well. I often think of my father as he's helping me out with this, that he wasn't so uh, awesome at the, um, at the, uh, the loving res- I mean, he was, but there was a lot of times where he was like, pedal, turn, stop. You know, there's just that, aggra- you know, that aggravation that's coming through. And I halfway wonder if our Heavenly Father, if our Heavenly Father, if he does the same thing with us. When we fail, when we misstep, when we don't follow his ways, Yes, there is a hand on the seat from our Heavenly Father, absolutely. And there are times where He kind of lets go to let us learn the things that we are doing, the things that we ought to do to follow Him, the things that we ought not to do. And in the failures and the falls and the bruises, I can't help but wonder if He's up there in heaven being like, no, don't. But He lets it happen. He lets us go through those failures so that we can understand better how to follow Him. We're about to embark on a journey, on a journey, through the book of Ezekiel. He's a major prophet. He's a major prophet. You know what it means when you say major prophet? It means that the prophecy is long. There's lots of chapters in it. There's there's major prophets and there's minor prophets. The minor prophets are shorter. The major prophets are longer, okay? And so he's in there with one one of the three, the Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. I think you can throw Daniel in there, but I'm not sure. Daniel's a little bit less. But I know Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they're, they're the big three. And as I studied for this uh, sermon series to kick it off, you'll be happy to know that the commentary said that most ancient rabbis informed their students and other rabbis to not study the book of Ezekiel unless they are mature and well-educated. So that counts me out. Um, so I just, I, here we go as we dive through. But it's because it's, what's going on in here, there's a lot. There's a lot of heavy stuff that Ezekiel is going through, learning our ultimate failures, but also the power of God's resurrecting grace. That's what we want to see. The hope of this series is threefold. The first is that as we dive deeper into this prophecy that we understand and discover more deeply, more richly, the true character of the triune God, the true character of His loving, merciful, just, and grace-filled character, that we would also then begin to learn a little bit more about ourselves and accept and understand the consequences for our rebellion against that holy, true God. Because we all whether you realize it or not, are in a rebellion against him. We have good days, we have bad days. And lastly, that we would grow more into the likeness of Christ having gone through this, to become more Christ-like, who is truly our model on how to ride a bike. So we want to dive into this, figure out God's character, understand our failures, and to grow more into Christ. That's what we hope to accomplish as we go through these next 40 weeks. This morning, we open up to the first lines of the prophecy, and you'll see we're only going to read the first three verses. And so you may be like, Mike, 
You've got 40 weeks and you're only doing three verses, you're going to need to get it going. But we're going to look at those first three verses to help us sit this in some context so that we can understand what comes after this. And, that, and this is Ezekiel. Ezekiel is raised up in a time, so this is a little bit of Old Testament history, Raised up in a time where, if you remember, the kingdom, the, the kingdom of, of Israel, really, was eventually divided into two kingdoms. Way back when, after, uh, after um, oh goodness, who was it? The prophet Samuel was walking around and raised up. The Israelites said, we want a king. We want a leader. And so Samuel was like, you have a king. You have a leader. That's God. This is bad news bears. Don't do that. And they said, no, no, no. We want to be like every other nation. And so we raised up a king. And that kind of started them on this trajectory of putting their hope, of putting their faith, of putting all their resources in someone who is human, who is fallible. And all the kings that came after in the kingdom of Israel, all of them were not so great. Even King David, whom God works through and sends the covenant through that Jesus would come through his line, even he wasn't so great. Bathsheba for 500. Everyone remember that story, right? So, I mean, the kings aren't fantastic. It ultimately leads in their split, and you get a northern and a southern kingdom. And then there's kings that are raised up there, and they do horrible, awful things. And so then finally, God begins to let go of the seat. And the northern kingdom gets handed over to another foreign power, the Assyrians. They are gone. They are scattered. They are carried away. And the southern kingdom lasts for a little bit longer. And this is where Ezekiel gets, rise, or gets, gets called into action. They are on the precipice of their temple in Jerusalem being completely destroyed. Now that is a earth-shattering thing for them because it's in the temple where they have access to the presence of God. So their destruction of the temple is a message to them all that God has left the building. So you have to understand, this is how Ezekiel's coming into this. The destruction hasn't happened, but they are definitely in captivity under this, under this Babylonian rule. And they are being carted off, Ezekiel being one of them, and God raises him up to speak to a people who are scattered and broken, who are dead, who are uprooted, who are displaced, who are under foreign rule. The book of Second Kings says, only the poorest remain now in the land of Jerusalem at this time. They are experiencing an upheaval of God's blessings. And this is another little recap of some Old Testament theology here. If you remember the Ten Commandments was given to the Jews, right? It came through Moses and he handed it down to them. And what was part of that was that if they followed the Ten Commandments and kept them all, they were blessed. This is this blessings and curses you may have heard before. And in the blessings, what they received from the Lord was a place, a land. They had a land in which they were, was all their own. They were a people known to the world as the people of the one true God. They were protected by that one true God and had been given and provided for by that one true God, a land of milk and honey. All of these things are promised to them as blessings. They have to follow and keep to the Ten Commandments. But what do we know about that? They obviously, we, we cannot follow the Ten Commandments perfectly. And so what happens is, is the blessings turn to curses. And all of that stuff, land, people, protection, provision, it all turns against them, ultimately leading to their scattering, to their exile, to their removal from that place and being put under a different power, a different country, 
different gods. And this is where we find our, our, our audience that Ezekiel is talking to. This is not new. Exile, letting, letting his people be handed over, is not new for God. If you remember Adam and Eve, they disobeyed and God exiled them out of Eden. It's a total separation, a total abandonment from the sinful humanity from God. And you know why? Because here's a rosy-colored view of this. God hates sin. Full stop. Say that with me. God hates sin. And there's nothing wrong with us saying that. There's nothing wrong with us saying that. We live in a society and a world where that is not a, a fashionable thing to say. But it's at the crux of everything that we know about the character of God. He hates sin. He's not with sin. He has judged it rightly to be detestable and it ought to be destroyed. He doesn't go along with it and hope for the best in the end. That's what we do with our sins, isn't it? Oh, they're not that bad and Jesus will take care of it in the end. God hates sin. And when his people completely reject him, they have to learn. And he's got to let go of the bike seat just a little bit and see them fall and fail. But the good news is exile, the people that Ezekiel is speaking to, and the exile that we as Christians also experience right now, present day. I don't know if you realize that we also experience an exile right now also. Through Jesus Christ, who has established our home with him, we wait for that home, but we live in this foreign land now. And the purpose of that exile is to remember it's not the end game. It's not the end of the story. And it can definitely feel like that for God's people. But God often demonstrates that he doesn't leave, and he has a, doesn't leave his very good creation in this abandoned state. Remember, we are to discover more deeply the true character of God who is not only just, but full of grace, love, and mercy. So today, as we kick off this series, the thing that I want you to remember and hold on to all series long is that even when it looks bleak, and even when we're in our seasons of exile, God still has his hand in it. Say that with me. God still has his hand in it. Only Rachel said it. The rest of you failed. <laughs> Only God still has his hand in it. Let's open up to the book of Ezekiel. We're going to read chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And that is on page, I believe, 822 uh, in the Bible. So you want to bring those Bibles out, open them up and look at them. Let's open up and see how we kick ourselves off and understanding the people that Ezekiel is talking to and what it all means. Ezekiel 1, verses 1 through 3. This is the word of the Lord. Get ready for some riveting, spirit-filled text. You ready? In the 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Chabar Canal. <laughs> right? So... As you go through that first line, you think, this is going to be fun. Uh, this, this first line written by Ezekiel, actually commentators struggle with because they're not exactly sure of the dating. They can't, there, there's not enough here to figure out, is Ezekiel telling us his age? Is he telling us the time in which he has been called? What, what's going on here? But the most important thing is what comes after that comma, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Then this was added later, not by Ezekiel. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. 
who King Jehoiakim, I believe Jeremiah says of this king, this Israel king, Judean king or whatever, that if he was a ring on God's hand, a signet on God's hand, that God would remove the ring off of his finger. That's how bad Jehoiakim is. So this is the fifth day of the month. It was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. So they're all being carted off to Babylon. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi in the land of the Chaldeans by the Chabar Canal. And the hand of the Lord was upon him there. The two takeaways of this here that's going to guide us is the condition of the people. The condition of the people is that they are in exile. We're going to talk today of what does that mean? What does it mean to be in exile? But the second thing, the most important thing here, is that Ezekiel, in exile, God letting go of the bike to let them fail and to let them fall, doesn't leave them there. And he pulls the heavens back. Think of the curtain being torn by Jesus, right? Pulls the heavens back and raises up this prophet to tell Ezekiel, this is how you are going to inform my people of what is going to happen. And that the hand of the Lord was upon him. That's where we get that, that statement. Even when it's all junk and crabola, that's a Greek word, right? Even when it's all gone to pot, God still has his hand in it. So what does it mean? What does exile mean for God's people? And we can kind of probably pick this together on our own, but let me just kind of walk us through. Again, the people are uprooted, they're upended, they're upset. Being exiled doesn't mean that you, you can look at that quote that's in your bulletin. Being exiled doesn't mean that you don't have a home. It means that you know that you have a home, but you've been uprooted from it. It means that you know you have a place, but you can't get there yet. They are uprooted, they are upended, they are upset. And this attitude affects how they worship and approach and understand God. It's been greatly affected, that attitude. You cannot find joy. Well, it's hard. It's hard to find joy and hope in the midst of exile. Listen to these words from the psalmist, Psalm 137, 1 through 4. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Jeremiah Lamentation says, The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For, there, for this our heart has become sick. And for these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, and jackals prowl over it. Just to get an insight. Isn't that a wonderful ray of sunshine? An insight of what it feels like to be handed over. To lose the very thing, the foundation in which you thought you were standing on and have that completely rocked. All hope is not lost for the Jews. It isn't. And that's why the prophecies, when they come up, you do have these people who can understand and put it all together that all hope is not lost. God still has a hand in it. But in the immediate fallout of it all being taken away, can you not relate to them? Have you ever had your foundations completely rocked? Completely rocked. And that could be, uh, the cause of that could be of your own sin and transgressions, which really, really is awful because you can't blame anybody else. You know, it's, you're the reason why you're here because of your actions, right? That's awful. Or it's someone else's sin against you, which is 
even worse sometimes, that could be a friend that has backstabbed you in some way and completely upended your life. Or thirdly, natural disasters. The broken world can completely rock your foundations. I think of Japan, who just had this earthquake, and hundreds of people, I think, as it said last headline, I saw over 100 people have passed away from this. People just minding their own business, and the very earth shakes and swallows up their homes. When the land you firmly stand on is shook, it rocks all of our foundations. And when our hope is found in all things less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, or for Ezekiel's people, and all things less than the power and the goodness of God, the world shakes and we find ourselves lost. We've stored up our treasures in things that die, in things that shift, rather than in the one true, holy, eternal God. And that's the problem. That's the problem with the Israelites. That's what God's going after. You've put your hope in everything else but me. And I have proven, God says, I have proven it to you. I have pulled you out of Egypt. I have pulled you through the wilderness. I have provided manna in the desert. And yet, and yet, you still would rather have the gift in the hand than what we long for and hope for in the future. And so he lets go of the seat. He says, okay. That's the struggle for all of us in humanity, trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment in broken and worldly things. And it always leads to the idolization of those things. It leads to a divided heart, a lack of belief and disobedience, and he hands us over to become like them, to become like those idols, lifeless. He lets go of the seat and allows us to fall. But my friends, exile is not meant for total destruction and abandonment. It's not meant. That is not the end game for it. It's not the end of the story, as I said before. It is meant for his people to fully recognize and learn the cause of their current situation, their rebellion, and why they did that, so that they turn back to him and receive that grace and mercy. It is meant to take personal responsibility for those actions, which we often don't do. And the Israelites are in the same situation. They're not taking the responsibility. They want to rush to the restoration. They want to rush to the point of what they know to be true about God. They've got the history. They know that Moses was able to stave off God's wrath and God remembered the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They know that. But they want to rush to that and not sit in the sting of exile and understand why they're there. And so these prophets get raised up to bring that, pull the curtain back, and let them understand that this is not going to be a swift restoration. There will be a consequence for ongoing rebellion. But there will also be a moment where God will allow that restoration to happen. Why? Because he always has a hand in it. He lets go of the bike seat, but not so much that we completely fail and are utterly cut off. Will there be some? Some who won't turn? Absolutely. That's the condition of human sin. But there will be some who are faithful. There will be some who will recognize and have the ears to hear and experience that resurrecting grace. The one story that almost everyone knows in the book of Ezekiel is what? Dry bones, right? Songs about it and everything. And that's a prophecy that foretells the restoration to come. That even these dry, dead bones without any life can receive the Spirit 
and grow into a mighty army for the Lord. Why? Because he has a hand in it. He has a hand in it. He lets it go, yes, but he has a hand in it. And so as we dive into Ezekiel's prophecy, we need to sit in the sting of exile and understand that so that we are not doomed to repeat the same thing that our brothers and sisters of the Israelite nation have done. Don't commit the sin and think, oh, that's just them. They're dumb. No, their history is our history. Their mistakes are our mistakes. And we continue to follow in those footsteps often. Now, the only thing that we have that they don't is we have the rest of the story. We know that God's plan of redemption sits in his son, Jesus, the Messiah. That the prophets can only foretell and kind of look at dimly. We know it for sure that this has been paid for. They are experiencing exile in part, but Jesus experiences exile in full. For on the cross, he looks to his father and says, Father, why are you forsaken me? He experiences the fullness of that separation so that we don't have to. And so as we sojourn in this land that isn't our own anymore, a kingdom that awaits for us, secured by our our Savior Jesus Christ, We sit and we learn about these things of the Old Testament as a full historical account of God's redemptive action. That sometimes he lets go of the seat to let us fall and fail, but only so that we can learn and to become more like his son Jesus, to become bike riders, to become witnesses to the glory and the majesty of the triune God. So as we journey through these next 40 weeks, hold on to that. Hold on to the statement that he has a hand in it because we're going to go through some dark times. We're going to go through some darkness here of, of, of the full weight of what it means for God to, to, to step back. But know that joy comes in the morning and there is a hope for restoration that Ezekiel sees a great vision of what's to come. Are you excited? Yep. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for tough teachings, tough books, And a tough journey that we know that if we just put our faith in the truth of Scripture, that it's all profitable for teaching. It's all profitable for correction and for for wisdom and all this. Lord, let us not step away from that truth. Let us stick with it and be filled by your Holy Spirit to become more and more like your son Jesus so that we can share others the hope that we have in him with boldness and with courage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is the amazing grace that we have been found, that we have been set free. Wretches like you and me, once lost, but now found, blind, but now see, go into this world knowing that you know the true, true purpose and plan for God's redemption. Found in the Son, Jesus Christ. Often that we may find ourselves in times of trouble and trial, he is faithful and he is true. Share that with others so that they may see the hope that you have in him and come to know Jesus as their Savior. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said, amen. Have a great day, everybody.